All right. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is the first episode of The Fields. Uh, my name is Emilio Calderon. Uh, yeah, this is our first episode. Uh, thank you very much for clicking on this and deciding to spend some time with me. Um, special thank you to everyone. I can't list them all, but thank you to everyone who has supported me either with uh, direct words of encouragement or by uh, sharing the podcast and its various socials. I appreciate you all. Um, yeah, so we have a very straightforward first episode for us today. Um, we're just going to be previewing some of the games in the Premier League. Uh, we have some big ones uh, with Manchester United hosting Chelsea. Uh, Leicester are visiting Arsenal. Uh, we have some big games, or not super big, but we have some notable games in the Bundesliga and Serie A. And we're going to be looking to the big one, that's El Clasico. And yeah, let's get to it. Okie dokie, let's get started. So we're going to start with England, the Premier League. We're going to start with what appears to be the biggest game of the weekend, uh, for the Premier League at least, and that is Manchester United hosting Chelsea. Uh, United come into this 15th on the table, two wins and two losses from their four games. Uh, their last win, in the, their last game in the league was a 4-1 win away to Newcastle. Uh, Paul Pogba did not start this game because it was believed that he would be rested for the midweek Champions League tie against PSG. And bizarrely, he didn't start that game either. Although he ended up coming on late and changing the, the look of their midfield and adding more creativity. And they ended up winning that game 2-1, thanks to a Marcus Rashford late winner. Um, I'm curious because in the in the PSG game, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he deployed Bruno Fernandes, obviously as his attacking midfielder. And behind him was Fred and Scott McTominay. So he's done this before, uh, where he's deployed uh, Fred and McTominay kind of as cleaners in front of, well, cleaners kind of as like a loose term for guys who just sit in front of uh, the back four or not necessarily like as defensive midfielders, but they kind of just make sure they clean up the space behind the four attackers or three attackers. Yeah. So in this case, they were uh, cleaning up all cleaning up for uh, Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford, and Bruno Fernandez. Um, so I'm interested to see if he starts Pogba for this game and whether he... See, it's interesting because I'm not sure what kind of midfield he'll deploy. I'm also not sure what kind of midfield Frank Lampard will deploy for Chelsea either. Uh, okay, so let's get into Chelsea before we start mixing it up. Uh, so Chelsea are eighth right now on the table. Uh, they have two wins, two draws, and one loss. Uh, their last game was another 3-3 draw, their second 3-3 draw of the season. This one at home to Southampton. Uh, this one uh, a little more concerning because the West Brom draw, uh, they at least clawed back from a 3-0 deficit. Uh, this one they allowed uh, Southampton to get back into it. Um, the one boost for Chelsea and Frank Lampard is that their team is um, mostly healthy. Uh, uh, Pul- Christian Pulisic uh, started against Sevilla. Uh, Hakim Ziyech has come off the bench both against Southampton and Sevilla. And obviously, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz have been playing uh, since the beginning of the season. Uh, I am interested how Lampard uh, deploys in this game because Lampard has 
uh, frankly, he has frustrated me a lot. Um, he has a lot of talent as at his disposal, and I think he's trying hard to try to incorporate it all. And I think that's understandable when you, uh, especially at Chelsea, because his first season was, I'm not going to say he didn't do a good job because he did a great job. He took uh, lemons and he, not that Chelsea were that bad, and he made lemonade because I think a lot of people expected Chelsea to finish outside of the European places and he finished fourth with a team that was uh, not super young, but it was headlined by introducing uh, Tammy Abraham, uh, Mason Mount, Fakaya Tamari, and Rhys James, who uh, even in the summer before the last season started, people were saying, what do you expect him to do with this team? And I was one of the people, even early on, I thought, well, Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount are good. And they turned out to be good. And then it turned out Fakaya Tamari and Rhys James also turned out to be good. <laughs> so one part, at least we know he knows how to... Uh, get the most of out of his young players he knows how to integrate them um but now he has to prove to us that he can take his best players and how should i say this he needs to prove that he can't just put a scrappy team together now now he needs to prove that he's a like a chelsea level manager and that he can manage elite talent because he has elite talent in timo Werner, kai havertz christian politics and hakim ziesh and angola kante just so people don't think I'm leaving them out. Um, so back to what I was saying about United's uh, potential lineup. I'm not sure what the correct answer is because from a narrative standpoint, I think this is a big game for Pogba and for pundits who love to talk about Paul Pogba <laughs> because I think this is the kind of game where you can honestly deploy the Fred McTominay Fernandez midfield again. And I think you can honestly probably hit Chelsea on the break through Martial, Rashford, and Fernandez, and whoever starts on the right, be it Danny James or, or um, Mason Greenwood. And let's not forget they signed Alex Teres, who is very good playing as a wingback. Uh, he's already shown at times already under United that defensively he's not that great. But we already knew that. He's a fucking wingback, okay? That's his job. Um, I, my ang- my uh, subconscious anger that spread out of that was also... Goes back to the other side where people say that Juan Basaka is a great defender, but he's not very good going forward. The opposite of Teus. Well, yeah, we already knew that. He showed at Crystal Palace that he's like, like Juan Basaka is like elite. Like we're talking like elite NFL corner. Like we're talking like Revis Island level defending. Like this dude is like a black hole. You cannot get past this guy one on one. Like it is insane. And I think the the uh, addition of Teos to make to give them a little more width on the left side is very good, especially for Juan Bissaka, so that he doesn't go forward as much. Um, but back to my larger point about the the lineup, um, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Solskjaer goes with Fred McTominay again, but that would make it two games in a row. And I think you kind of play Pogba here for the legs, maybe. I, th- I think that's going to be, I yeah, I. I don't know. It's gonna it's gonna reflect poorly of Pogba if he doesn't start. Not that that is his fault, but uh, as for Chelsea, um, I've said several times I think Chelsea's best lineup on paper is if you have uh, credit to Grace Robertson for putting this first into the universe. But I think I agree that their best uh, line, lineup on paper would be to play uh, Kai Havertz as a something of a false nine slash as a number ten. 
And then having any combination of Timo Werner, Pulisic, and Ziyech in front of them as the two forwards slash emulating Mane and Salah. Um, he also has questions about his midfield, uh, specifically with his two number eights, because N'Golo Kante, uh, fitness permitting, is always going to be your number six. And then, of course, he has uh, Jorginho, uh, Mateo Kovacic, and Mason Mount to choose from. Um, I personally believe Mateo Kovacic is a better and more useful footballer than uh, Jorginho. I don't think that's controversial to say. Um, I understand why Lampard likes uh, Jorginho for his passing. Um, I put the word passing between big air quotes, but I think Kovacic's skill set is just a little more useful, although I guess it doesn't make sense to have both Kovacic and Mount, it, as in you have two midfielders whose biggest offensive uh, talent is their dribbling and breaking lines with their dribbling. So I, I get like, I mean... On paper, the right thing to do is to play. Okay, my I would start Conte, Kovacic, and Mount. And my rationale for Kovacic over Jorginho is I just said I think Kovacic is just better than Jorginho. Like just flat out, I like him more. He's a little more well-rounded. And Mount, uh, say what you want about Mason Mount. He's a good footballer. He's a damn good footballer. Uh, he gets in late to the penalty area, which is... Uh, very good for it was a very good good for the team last season and there's it's hard to find guys like him as in midfielders who contribute on the offensive side very consistently but also very consistently uh put in a shift on the defensive side he pressures the ball a lot and intercepts it uh, very high up the field and honestly Okay, I might be telling on myself here, so sorry to people, to Chelsea fans or people who have been watching Chelsea throughout the season. So maybe he has been deploying this exact midfield <laughs> uh, every week. But um, yeah, uh, here's a, this is a big game uh, for both teams, uh, both managers. I don't see a clear-cut winner. I see a draw out of this game. I think there's goals in it. I can see as far as a 2-2, honestly. Uh... I do lean more towards a United win just because I think United are a little better defensively. Uh, I think it's only one game, uh, but Axel Twanzebe looked very good against uh, PSG midweek. Uh, I can see him starting again in this game if uh, Solskjaer trusts him enough. And Chelsea, yeah, Chelsea's defense, no matter who they play at center back, is just not very good, apparently. It is amazing. Uh, Thiago Silva, has their defense has looked the best when Thiago Silva's on the field. Ex, uh, barring the, the first half an hour against West Brom. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a very interesting game, to say the least. Uh, and enough of that. Our, the second big game I want to look at in the Premier League is Leicester versus Arsenal. Uh, believe it or not, this is actually a battle between fourth and fifth. Uh, Leicester are currently fourth in the table with three wins and two losses. Uh, their last game in the league was a 1-0 loss away to Aston Villa. Uh, Arsenal are fifth in the table, also three wins and two losses. They're uh, behind, I believe, two goals on in goal difference. Leicester at plus four, Arsenal at plus two. Um, their last game in the league was a 1-0 loss away to Manchester City. Horrible game. Please do not watch it if you were thinking of watching the replay. It was a terrible game. Uh, both of these teams played uh, midweek in the Europa League. Uh, Leicester handled Luhansk, uh 
very i'm sorry if i did not pronounce that correctly uh they handled them very uh relatively comfortably uh arsenal actually started one nil down to the rapid vienna and they actually came clawed back a 2-1 win this game is interesting to me because i think united and chelsea is a matter of one of these teams if not both are definitely going to finish in european places which one do we think is better this one is interesting to me because the ceilings of both of these teams are very that is now talking about leicester and arsenal their ceilings are very unclear i'm really not sure what they are and they're both burdened and like i don't mean to trash on the europa league but i mean it is a burden to have to play on thursdays um but yeah, both these teams, I'm really not sure. The like the big question for me is, are either of the teams uh, true European contenders or are they simply spoilers? Uh, I think that's probably a bigger question for Arsenal uh, more than uh, Leicester. But uh, I'm not entirely convinced by Leicester uh, considering how, not poorly, but they were not very, they were not, they were nowhere near the levels during uh, the re- uh, last season's uh, restart. Uh, as opposed to before it. And yeah, their beginnings of this season hasn't uh, been perfect either. Uh, honestly, I frank- frankly, I think their two biggest wins, which were a 5-2 against Manchester City and the 4-2 against Burnley, I think both of those games flattered them very much. And I know when you consider that Wilfred and Didi will be out for an extended time, I believe until at least December. Uh, their midfield, uh, uh, Nymphalis Mendy, uh, he is good he's he's perfectly fine but it's just he's not wilfred indeed he's the problem and I mean, frankly james madison has not been very fit either uh he had fitness issues uh last season he was not i believe he only put in 20 ish maybe 21 22 uh games where he played 90 minutes and then yuri tillemans who before last season well, he was great. Uh, the half season they brought him in, that would have been 2018-19 now, and they brought him in in January. He was great. He was one of the best passers in the league. Um, and now he just looks good slash maybe okay. Um, yeah, Le- uh, Leicester are a weird team. Uh, Jamie Vardy continues to score goals. I don't know how he does it. But he also is apparently of the best a penalty winner that does not play for Manchester United in the league. I don't know how he does that either, but uh, he just, with his pace and his line-breaking runs, he is just so consistently good. I don't know how he does it, especially at his age, but he is just so freaking good at it. I don't understand. And then, uh, Ars- oh, God. Um, Arsenal fans, if you were listening to this, I'm sorry, but, oh, God, Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal. Oh, Mikel. Mikel Arteta. Oh, dear. This team frustrates me. Um, okay, I should preface this. And uh, Jake Nazar, uh, very reasonably, uh, shout out to him. He, when Arteta took over Arsenal uh, last season, and they looked... Uh, at least I test they looked better compared to under Unai Emery. He said, I don't remember if he said anything exactly, but he just wasn't impressed. And I thought, no, I think Arteta under our Arsenal under Arteta is good. I mean, yes, uh, to the I test, they look better. Um, numbers wise, they didn't, they weren't that much better. Uh, league 
uh, league position wise, uh, they did they made somewhat of a late push for seventh, but they were so far out of the race already by the time that he took over the job that it would have been crazy for him to get it anyway. Um, but oh god, yeah, uh, Mikel Arteta frustrates me because. I think what he did that I really liked compared to Unai Emery was one, he started playing people in, in uh, their correct positions because Unai Emery's biggest problem was he played all of his midfielders out of position. He uh, Unai Emery wanted Lucas Torreira uh, to be a free, like a free eight. Lucas Torreira is not really a free eight. He's kind of like a faux number six, faux number eight. I mean, like he's not terrible at passing the ball or dribbling. But what you want out of him is you want him pressuring the ball, you want him intercepting the ball, you want him putting tackles in, and you want him to be safe with the ball. And I don't know, Unai Emery decided he wanted this guy to be passing the ball, and that just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, he wanted Granit Xhaka to be a defensive midfielder. Granit Xhaka is not a defensive midfielder. The motherfucker is slow as all hell. And he has a wonderful passing range. Okay, maybe not wonderful. Okay, okay, well, okay, let's slow down. Okay, he, he, Granit Xhaka is good. He was always good, uh, and Unai Emery wanted him to play in several roles that he was just not fit for with his uh, lack of legs and with his uh, skill set. And Mikel Arteta uh, correctly put him in a double pivot. Now with uh, he's been playing, he uh, their best uh, midfield pivot was with Xhaka and Danny Ceballos, and Xhaka looked good because all he had to do was pass the ball; he didn't have to get forward at all. And Danny Ceballos well, is the one to bring the ball forward because he can pass the ball and he can dribble. And that worked. And now, of course, uh, Arsenal have Thomas Partey, who uh, is a very well-rounded midfielder. Uh, not quite, not just a destroyer, not just a box-to-box. Or I guess, he, I'm uh, for the sake of labels, uh, I'm not sure what people would put him down at, put him down as. Um, I mean, like, I guess we have to give him a label. Uh, Honestly, yeah, I'm not really sure what you put him down as. Uh, I think it's cliche to put him as a destroyer. Uh, he's not really a box-to-box midfielder, but he's a midfielder who is good defensively and he can pass the ball, which is what Arsenal have needed. Uh, um, so back to what I was saying about Mikel Arteta. I like that he played players in the correct positions. He had a respect for needing defensive and midfield stability because Arsenal had neither under Unai Emery. Uh, Their defense only looked good or they only conceded one or zero goals as a result of the game being boring or there being uh, very few shots in the game between both teams. But unfortunately, uh, Arteta is doing the same. Like, he's not generating... Frankly, this team does not know how to generate any offense, and it is, like, infuriating. Um, the biggest concern for Arsenal going into this season was whether or not they would resign Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and they did, and that, on paper, was gonna, supposed to be one of the best signings of the window. And, oh, God, just... So, Aubameyang is like Jamie Vardy in that... Um, I don't have numbers in front of me or anything, but they're very similar in that they operate the same. They don't They don't uh, get a lot of shots themselves. They don't create a lot of shots for other people. But what they do is uh, they break lines with their runs. Uh, they get on the end of good crosses or good service. And they, yeah, they get on the end of good service and they score uh, high, 
high XG chances like very consistently. Like they get maybe like three or four shots a game and they always score one or two of them and they do it very consistently. But this season, uh, for some reason, Mikel Arteta has decided to deploy Aubameyang as a winger in which Aubameyang is not exactly creating a lot for other people and he's still not getting on the end of good crosses or passes like he was before. And he doesn't really have the same pace as Jamie Vardy to just kind of BS it and ask for through balls uh, from 30, 40 yards out. Like, I'm not sure what he wants this team to do to score goals. And as much as I like Thomas Partey, I don't know if anything Thomas Partey does is from midfield is enough to create more offense for this team. Yeah, just... You have, uh, I mean, Lacazette is what Lacazette is. Um, he's a service striker, and this team needs to figure out a way to be getting more service into the box or maybe even figuring out ways either from midfield or out wide, uh, like maybe getting wingers or wingbacks da- uh, down the line to put in more crosses or having them uh, link up more. Like, I'm just really not sure because he, this team doesn't do anything. And it's fucking frustrating because it's a really talented team. Look, it's not an amazing knock off your socks team, but it's a good team. And I feel like on paper, it should at least be like finishing seventh or eighth. But I'm honestly not even sure of that right now. Ugh. Uh, all of that said, as much as I'm just shit, like totally shit on Arsenal right now, against my better judgment, I kind of want to say Arsenal are going to win this game. Uh, only because uh, Leicester rely heavily on breaking lines with pace uh, through Bar- through Harvey Barnes and Jamie Vardy. Um, I don't really think... Um, ironic, I really genuinely believe like this kind of a good game for Kelechi Iheanacho to play. Uh, because his his uh his holdup and link up, his uh despite how little minutes he plays, it's still consistently pretty good. Like he holds the ball very well, and uh, hey, you never know. Maybe this will be the year he finally <laughs> he breaks the glass ceiling and he turns out to be a really good, like he's like a starting quality striker. But uh, yeah, I I think this game is set up either for, and honestly, I think this game is going to be ugly either way. Uh, I see Arsenal winning this like 1-0, 2-0, maybe like hitting Leicester on the counter after Leicester committed men forward or a shit ugly 0-0, 1-1 draw. I don't imagine a world where this game is very entertaining. I'm sorry. Uh, And yeah, that is all I have to say on Leicester Arsenal. Okay, now that I've got the Premier League out of the way, we can head into Central Europe. We're heading into Germany, and we're going to start with, in the Bundesliga, we're going to start with Bayern Munich welcoming Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, Bayern Munich are second in the table with three wins and one loss. Uh, their last game was a 4 one way to Arminia Bielefeld. Uh, Frankfurt are fourth in the table with two wins and two draws. Uh, their last game in the league was a 1-1 draw with Cologne. Uh, Frankfurt are figuring out uh, life without Filip Kostic, who... I forget if it was the Cologne or the game before, but I believe he has a ligament injury. I know he has a long-term leg injury of some sort, so they're going to figure out how to 
who will replace his uh, his uh, passing and crossing. Although they've looked okay early on with, I feel crazy saying this, they've looked okay with a strike partnership of Andre Silva and Bastos. Yes, like Bastos, <laughs> who's like a like a st- who's literally just like a turret who you leave in the 18 yard box and he'll randomly get shots and headers off. Um, yeah, this, I mean, this partnership is working on their, I believe they have five goals between them. I'm not sure about, uh, Andre Silva has three goals on his own. I believe he's assisted one or two of his own. Um, Andre Silva is just one of those weird strikers to me because, uh, at least Andre Rebic, Andre Rebic gives you a good pace on your forward line. And he's good on the counter. Andre Silva is not necessarily bad at anything. He's just not necessarily particularly standout good at anything. Uh, maybe I'm misreading Andre Silva. I haven't really looked at numbers or anything. I don't want. I can't say I've watched a crap ton of his game, but from the games I've seen of him, from here and at AC Milan, uh, he's just good, like a nondescript like. I can't put a label on it. He's good. I don't know. Yeah, this is, it's a weird partnership, but it's working so far. Uh, Bayern, on the other hand, are, uh, well, they're doing Bayern things. Uh, well, Unkirk, they've let up a lot, they let in a lot of goals this season. Uh, they, uh, they're only, lo- there's uh, one loss in the league was a 4-1 loss to, to Hoffenheim. And then, they also won 4-3 against Hertha. I believe that was match week one or two, or two or three. And yeah, this, uh, I'm not sure why. I I haven't watched a lot of Bayern so far this season, uh, but I'm just not sure why their defense is letting in so much. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if I would put this more as a, their back four. Okay, okay, well, let's get this straight. Their back four is good but there are gaps all over the team that when they all ha- when a team has all these problems then it's like okay this is why you're giving up so many chances uh their midfield at times frankly is swiss cheese like there's just no guy in this midfield to like consistent i mean you have Yashua Kimmich but like when you have like Quentin Tolisso and Leon Goretzka next to him it's like yeah, Kimmich can only cover so much ground. Like he's not like Fernandinho or or Wilfred Ndidi. Like he can really only cover so much ground. And then I think the weird part is that okay, uh, con- okay, I'll preface Concacaf bias here, but I think one of the best parts of the Bayern side that won last season's Champions League was, frankly, was Alfonso Davies because he uh stretches teams very well especially from full when you consider that byron's wingers in, in this case considering f- their fit would be uh Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry uh you add in Alfonso Davies and he in addition to them stretches the team or he he stretches the team to create space for them or they or they as in Sané and Gnabry have already stretched the pitch and he's allowed to dribble or run into the space that they've created and he's a good crosser of the ball. I think a lot of people forget that. Like he's a pretty good crosser of the ball. Like he's not just like pacey and can dribble. 
Um, but yeah, um, now that he's fit, Lucas Hernandez has started at left back. I don't know if he started every game this season, but I just don't. The game, maybe I'm just underestimating Lucas Hernandez. I just think this team would be better starting Lucas Hernandez at center back as as a left sided center back and having Davies as your left sided fullback. And then, you, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I'm not Hansi Flick, so who am I to say? Um, this is an interesting game because Frankfurt boasts one of the best defensive midfields in the league right now. Uh, collectively, their 65 tackles uh, leads the league. And they've won 110 aerial duels. That's 15 more than the closest team, which ironically is Cologne. So uh, Frankfurt, uh, from what I've seen and from their numbers, are a very physical team. Oh yeah, so they win a lot of aerial duels. Uh, they pressure the ball a lot. They have a lot. They tackle it. They put a lot of tackles in, and they intercept the ball in the middle third very well. Um, yeah, this is going to be an interesting game, especially when you consider uh, Bayern. Uh, I don't have the exact numbers on these. Uh, they have been, uh, their weakness has been not entirely from, not all from open play. It has been from set pieces. Uh, I believe a third or so. I mean, cons- I mean consider, uh, consider that it's early in the season. So these numbers uh, may even out later on. But I believe a third of the goals they've conceded so far, somewhere uh, thereabouts, have all been from set pieces, whether from uh, set plays or from corners. Uh, so honestly, I the way both these teams are playing right now, Bayern with their uh, their offense, which flatters or make, making up for their defensive deficiencies, and Frankfurt, which have been, frankly, battling out games right now. Um, I kind of see a draw here. Um, I'm leaning towards a Frankfurt win. I can see. No. Okay. I don't want to say anything stupid. I see a draw. Let's leave it there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that is the one big game I want to talk about in the Bundesliga. Uh, just one game I wanted to look at in Syria this weekend. Uh, and that is the best team that is objectively the best team in Syria, the best team in the world, in fact. <laughs> uh, I think some people already know who I'm talking about. That is uh, Gian Piero Gasperini's uh, Atalanta. And they are taking on Sampdoria this weekend. Um, Atalanta are third in the table right now. Uh, they have three wins and one loss, although that one loss was last weekend, 4-1 uh, to General Cattuso's uh, Napoli. And Sampdoria are 10th in the table right now with two wins and two losses, although they are coming off a very strong 3-0 win against Lazio. This could genuinely potentially be a big game for Sampdoria. Uh, Fabio Cogliorella is uh, ageless, apparently. He is proving to be uh, Serie A's answer to uh, Claudio Pizarro. He has three goals so far this season. And uh, when I looked up their squad, I was curious to see who their other contributors were. And I, uh, <laughs> I was... I was underwhelmed, but I also found it hilarious to see that their two biggest contributors outside of Quagliera are Antonio Candreva and Albin Ekdal. Fro, uh, so I, I didn't. So I looked at a little. I watched a little bit of highlights from Sampdoria. There, there's not a lot to. Not they're not very big on the eyes, and uh, so then I looked at their numbers and. Their best ball progressors 
are quite literally Antonio Cantorov and uh, Albin Ekdal. And, oh, it's bad. It's, uh, I don't mean to go full stats, nerd, but, oh, it's bad. I think Kandreva, I did, I forgot to write it down, but I think Kandreva's pass percentage, pass completion percentage was something around 77%, sir. And uh, Albin Ekdal was looking at 80%. And... They are, yeah, those are your two biggest ball progressors. That doesn't instill a lot of confidence in me. Um, this is, I mean, frankly, they're kind of just like a hitch, like a hit on the counter or hit with the long, not like the long ball, but like, like quick long passes on the ground, like not just like, like hoof and hope. But yeah, 38% of their shots have come from outside of the box. Um, on the other hand, you have Atalanta, whose offense is, of course, uh, incredibly consistent. Uh, Papu Gomez, uh, uh, the guy just doesn't age, man. He ages like fine wine, scored a wonderful goal in their midweek game in the Champions League against Mitchelland. And um, Josip Ilicic, uh, I was unaware that he would be fit for uh, their midweek game, but he came off the bench and he... I thought they would be have to be live without. I mean, I don't know if he's going to start this game. Uh, well, okay, so let's just leave him out of this picture, even even though he is great. Um, because my second point on Atalanta was that uh, from wingback uh, uh, Robin Hossens and Hans Hattebor, uh they are they've proven to be incredibly consistent. Honestly, they're two of the best wingbacks in the world. Um, a lot of this talk about Atalanta has been like as a team that they're kind of honestly okay you know what? i'm just gonna take the time and say i think the optics of atalanta last season a lot of people saw maybe as a cinderella run but um i don't feel that way because i think they are genuinely talent wise i think they are at least attacking wise they are the most talented team in the league and i think they are legitimate title contenders this season um I should uh, put a disclaimer on that and say I think it's a very open title race. I don't, I don't think it's just Inter and Juventus who are in for the title. I really think there's like five title contenders this season, and I think Atalanta are one of them. It's because their entire team, like their entire team, is very good. Like this isn't just a Cinderella team, like doing a one-off run. Uh, so like, so yeah, like I said, oh, uh, Gosens and Hatabor are one of the best, uh, wingback combos in the game right now. Uh, Remo Freuler, uh, like Papu Gomez has continued to be good and is, well, I guess that's unfair, uh, because, uh, Papu is, I believe now 34, uh, he's 34. Uh, Remo Freuler is 29. Maybe t- he's already turned 30. I believe he's turning 30, but, uh, Remo Freuler has been, a consistent even though he hasn't been a starter mostly because of Papu Gomez and then you had uh, Mario Paslic and Ruslan Milinovsky uh, and they uh, in Ilicic's absence were in his short absence since the beginning of the season were making up for him for his absence uh, yeah this is a good team man I really think this is a good team of course their big problem is their defense because much of Gasparini's offensive philosophy is just throwing numbers forward, like saying, fuck it, like caution to the wind, throw numbers forward. I mean, and I mean, it works because they, they create, I'm noticing over time, like 
their ability to create space isn't great is like kind of declining it's not great like if you watch them like they're kind of throwing numbers forward and teams to counteract are kind of just leaving men behind the ball because they know they're going to throw them in forward especially their wingbacks on the wings and but what's keeping them up is guys like papu gomez and hopefully if joseph ilicic is fully fit or able to play generally because we don't know what uh, was keeping him out um but yeah guys like papu gomez and ilicic are finding and using space very well on an individual level although i think paslich and malinovsky are have been getting better as they've played more with the team um okay as for this game back back to the game atlanta versus sampdoria um i mean this is potent this could get messy i mean you don't know what atlanta you're gonna get uh again i mean 38 percent of sampdoria shots have come from outside of the box like they could hit on the break with quagliarella and kandreva um but i i think atlata should win this i don't i like i don't think it's going to be comfortable by any means i like i honestly envision a shootout i could see something like 5-2 honestly 4-1 i see it but yeah atlata should be walking away three points here me thinks all righty and the big one this is the one you've been waiting for in la liga headlining both in la liga and for european football this weekend is el clasico uh barcelona are ninth in the table right now they have two wins one draw and one loss they've played two games less than the leaders uh real sociedad and real madrid are third in the table three wins one draw and one loss they've played one game less than real sociedad uh, both teams are fresh off one nil losses in the league uh, to Cadiz and or no to Getafe and Cadiz uh, respectively. Uh, both played midweek in the Champions League. Uh, Barcelona handled Frank Varos uh, relatively comfortably, uh, winning three uh, one uh, or four one three one. Anyway, either way, uh, they won relatively comfortably. Although uh, Frank Varos uh, had more chances. Then just their one goal in that game, I believe they hit the post at some point and they had a goal ruled off in the first half. And of course, Real uh, suffered an ugly, a real ugly uh, 3-2 loss to Shakhtar Donetsk. A Shakhtar Donetsk team that I'm sure you've already heard a million times was missing six of its starters due to COVID-19. But uh, if you had watched this game, oh, I would recommend watching this game because the first half was ugly. It was a bloodbath. Uh, Real, Real's uh, back four was horrendous. Absolutely off this. Okay, I, I, that's unfair. I shouldn't just point out their back four. The entire team in the first half of that game was horrendous. Uh, Luka Jovic just has not meshed well with this team at all. They, he does not look like he fits in at all. I don't know if it's a, it's an attitude thing. I don't know if he doesn't fit into what, I don't know if it's uh What's Zidane ask him to do? I really don't know. But he just doesn't fit on this team. And then Rodrigo, has he looked very good uh, the second half of tw- the of last season. And he just is not doing anything. He's just a passenger. Like with him, it's like no dribbling, no passing, no defensive pressure, like nothing. J- just vibes, like straight up. I don't know what he's supposed to be doing. Um, and then he gets to the midfield and Luka Modric. Oh, Luka Modric, you beautiful, beautiful boy. Um, I'm sorry, but you are old. I am sorry. That is all I have to say on Luka Modric. Just like, 
he scored a great goal and it got him back into the game in the second half. But oh dear, man, he just it's not entirely his fault, I should say. Zinedine Zidane, uh, uh, James Rodriguez, when he left Real for Everton, pointed this out. And I, I don't know if the interviewer asked him a question to spur this answer, but he said something along the lines of, I don't hold anything against Zidane because he trusted the players who were there. And when he looked at the midfield, it was he was speaking probably about Toni Kroos and Luka Modric. And of course, those are the guys that Zidane won three Champions Leagues with. So... The point was that Hymas was uh, not offended or insulted that Zidane stuck with those guys. But I think it's been a long enough time that it just they're not the same guys. Like, I mean, we've made a lot of people have made a lot about Barcelona doing this with uh, Xavi and Iniesta. And then they just at some, and then Xavi were just retired. Iniesta moved on. But uh, the same happened with. Busquets and yeah, Barcelona stuck with him, and now they're finally moving on with him. And Real, it, I mean, they didn't make any transfers uh, this summer, which is just like mind-boggling. Like just generally, the sentiment Real Madrid not making any transfers in general. To be completely honest with you, um, yeah, this was a summer to bring in a midfielder. Like I don't like, regardless of quality, experience, whether it was a young midfielder, like this was the summer to bring in a midfielder and i think they're gonna pay for it this season um yeah well i was oh i <laughs> sure remember what i was doing i was criticizing uh the entire real madrid team for looking terrible against Shakhtar Donetsk. uh yeah so we were talking about the midfield um yeah and then the back four yeah the back four was awful marcelo same thing as modric look man He's built up a good line of credit. I think that credit has been used up now. He just is not the same player. He's like a lot of people say this about older players that sometimes they get a step behind it. Like he's really a step behind it, man. Like defensively, he's not very good. And offensively, his timings are just not very. And he's do he doesn't he does nothing because he doesn't have the pace to break lines. He's not getting in behind defenders, so he can't get in crosses. It's not like he's dribbling past guys either. Uh, and. Let's. Who started this game? Oh God, Rafael Varane and Eder Militao. God, I feel bad for roasting Rafael Varane like this, but when you consider he was literally at fault for the last two, their two, their past two games in the Champions League, which were a disastrous loss to Manchester City and now a disastrous loss to Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, let's just say he needs a good game out of this, and Eder Militao uh, just yeah hasn't looked very good. I mean, he was a very expensive signing from Porto. Uh, I honestly didn't see much of him in Porto. I, I don't think I... I don't even recall seeing anything at all. Just he hasn't looked very good. And then Frelan Mendy, who was great in his breakout season at Lyon. I just... Oh, God. Like, it gives me a headache to imagine Zinedine Zidane going, like, full Roberto Martinez and just, like, going, like... What possessed this man to to go like inverted wing back? Especially when you consider the right winger Rodrigo is also left footed. You had your both of your right sided players are playing are are left footed like that. Oh god. Oh, oh it gives me a headache. Oh god. Uh, I'm calm. I'm calm. <laughs> uh anyway. Um it's not all negative with Real. Like there's a lot of problems with this Real team. Like there are a lot of problems. Um, but I mean, one problem is not Karim Benzema. 
Uh, I think Benzema is finally starting to get the plaudits he deserves. He's been consistently one of the best strikers in Europe for like almost an entire decade now. And even as he gets older, he is still continuing to do it. And the amazing thing is he's doing it and he's continuing to link up well with the rest of his team. He's continuing to be like an elite level poacher and he's still linking up passes in midfield or with his wingers. And he just does not get enough credit for being goddamn Krim Benzema because the guy is amazing. And goddamn it, the guy deserves respect. Um, uh, the, one, the one thing... Uh, I, mean, I just pointed out several things. Uh, the one thing I'd be concerned with if I were Real is uh, Fede Valverde. Uh, he's not looked like the same Fede Valverde that broke into the team last season. Uh, he was crucial to Real last season as a free number eight, uh, not necessarily for his uh, offensive output. I mean, he was he was good. Like, he's very good. He's a pretty good passer. He's a decent tripler. Uh, he breaks lines pretty well. Not, not he's, not, uh, he's not exactly a number 10, but uh, he breaks lines pretty well and he has a good, pass, good safe passing range. Um, but he did this in addition to being a good player uh, uh, ball playing midfielder he was good uh, at pressuring the ball intercepting the ball and tack and tackles in the middle of the field and his numbers are just like down like the guy's just not doing it and i'm not really sure why uh, but i don't know maybe tell classico it's a big game maybe he'll come out for this one all right that's enough of real uh on the barcelona side of things um, Ronald Koeman is uh, still trying to figure out how to make Barcelona play like a Ronald Koeman team plays. That is uh, uh, boring out of their goddamn minds. <laughs> um, he's, uh, I mean, the team looks okay. I mean, Kike Setien did him a favor in that the team looked f- fucking her- like her- hideous. Under Kike Setien and now under Ronald Koeman, it just looks okay. And I guess that's good. It, like, I guess this is a case where boring is good. So me, so Ronald Koeman is okay, I guess. I mean, also consider that maybe Xavi is... There's like a probably 80% chance that Xavi is coming next season to coach this team. So, but let's focus more on the field. Uh, Messi continues to do messy things. Um, I am not going to lie. Um, I think Corey are finally starting to see the decline of Lionel Messi. And when I say decline, I mean uh, Lionel Messi f- f- throughout the entirety of career- his career did freakishly amazing things frequently, like every game. And now he just does it like maybe like a few times a game. <laughs> so, I mean, he's still like numbers i mean surprisingly if you haven't been keeping up he's only got one goal in the league so far if i recall correctly but i mean when you look at like his his uh, xg numbers and his passing numbers he's still linking a play like and he's still like like he's still doing the business in in the attacking third um the their biggest bright spot of course is ansu fati who also is has started to play with uh, the spanish national team uh yeah ansu fati is great and i feel bad that he had to be great while Barcelona is at their lowest point since uh, pre-Pep Guardiola because he's great. Like, he is genuinely, like, he's an elite young talent. I'm not sure where you're going to get the best out of him yet. Um, he's he, he does a lot of things really well right now. I'm not sure what, like, he gets into the, like, he has good scoring eye and positioning for, uh, for a winger. Uh, yeah, he cuts in very well, but uh, he's good at uh, attacking down the line and getting cross into. 
Uh, he links it very well with his other forwards. Um, yeah, Ansu Fati's been great. Uh, Coutinho, Coutinho, Philippe Coutinho, former Liverpool player, Philly and Bayern Munich player. Uh, <laughs> Philippe Coutinho plays for Barcelona, and he actually is not that bad. Um, I. <laughs> I have nothing else to say other than he's really not that bad. He's actually good. He deserves to start for this team as opposed to Anton Griezmann, who is awful. Uh, yeah, Anton Griezmann is awful. I can't explain why. It's pretty unexplainable, but he is bad. He does not get in the box. He does not get shots off. He does not create for other players, whether that's by opening them up with a pass or whether by opening up space with runs or like the guy does not do it. He like... I'm just going to say, like, he's not even a passenger. Like, he actively makes this team worse, and I'm really not sure what it is. He's just not good right now. Oh, dear. Um, Their midfield is still... Mm, yeah, there's still questions about this midfield. Uh, Marilyn Pjanic has not played a lot. Uh, Frank of the uh, Young looks a little bit better, but that's what I'm really saying much when you consider how he was deployed last season. Um, another oh, uh, the other bright spot is uh, sorry, more Concacaf bias, but uh, Sergio Dest has looked very good, or he looked good in his debut, uh, getting forward at least compared to Junior Firpo. Uh, so, oh man, both of these teams, ooh, both of these teams really need to win. A draw is not going to help either of them. At least I don't think so. Like, narrative-wise, both of these teams really need a win. Uh, honestly, I think I see a draw. Uh, neither of these teams is particularly impressive right now. Uh, they have, they're not, they don't have standout. Like, they're just not solid in any area of the field right now. It's not like they have glaring gaps, but they're not particularly good at anything. The only thing that is consistent about these teams is that their two best players, uh, Benzema for uh, Real and Messi for Barcelona, they continue to produce offensively, and that's really it. So, uh, yeah, I I have a hard time picking a winner here. I see. I honestly see a very scrappy one-one draw. I I see a game where two teams just are af- not afraid to attack. That's not the correct word, but. I think we're going to see few... We're not going to see an open game. We're going to see very few big chances, maybe. And that's it. So, yeah. Okie dokie. And those were all the uh, big games I wanted to cover in length. And that introduces us to the end. But that is not the end of the podcast because I like to end all of these with what I call the shootout. What is the shootout, you might uh, ask in... My answer is that it's just a stupid name for the uh, last section in the show where I just go over quick bullet points instead of going over stuff in length. So, uh, although, uh, honestly, uh, all of these points are also just games that I didn't want to cover in full. <laughs> so, uh, back to the Premier League. Uh, considering this podcast is going to be coming out on a Friday, you may be watching this game right now, or it may have already happened. But uh, Aston Villa, second place Aston Villa, are welcoming Leeds United. Uh, So yeah, Villa are second in the table right now. And Leeds have looked very good uh, with two wins so far in 10th place. Although they now have to contend with the loss of Calvin Phillips uh, to an 
ankle injury, I believe an ankle. Uh, he's expected to be out for up to six weeks. Um, this is going to be a big game for Leeds because uh, Calvin Phillips is very integral to their offense. Uh, on the his his range of passing is really what uh, gets them forward. Um, this is going to be a tough period for them. So they they play tomorrow. They play uh, away to Aston Villa. They're going to host Leicester. They go away to Crystal Palace. They host Arsenal. They go away to Everton, and then they go away to Chelsea. Uh, this is going to be one of those uh, stretches where they quote unquote show us what they're made of. Uh, but as for this game in, sp- in particular, I think they'll have more than enough to put them away. They'll have looked very good. Uh, Jack Grealish continues to be one of the best uh, creative midfielders in the, in the league. Uh, Ross Barkley has finally found his level, and I don't say that as an insult. He really has looked great since he's come to Aston Villa. And yeah, I see Villa winning this comfortably. Match number two on the docket is West Ham. Uh, they welcome Manchester City to the Olympic Stadium. Uh, West Ham haven't won uh, versus uh, a city side since uh, September 2015. Uh, but uh, David Moyes and West Ham looked very good. They have 10 goals in their last three uh, league games. And City and Guardiola are uh, enduring their worst league campaign starts in a decade, respectively. Well, this is the worst for Manchester City in a decade. And this is the worst for Guardiola in his career so far. Oh, I mean, it's, that's in relativity, obviously. But uh, the interesting here will be to see uh, what kind of lineup uh, Guardiola deploys, uh, specifically uh, with the midfield in the back four. Uh, he's uh, begun to deploy Kyle Walker and something of a back through a back four uh, defensively that just becomes a back three defensively. Uh, Kyle Walker doesn't play as a right back instead plays as a right-sided center back. And I think this is a position that suits him very well, actually, because his, uh, considering the relatively high line that city play, his pace allows, allows him for a uh, good recovery challenges. And it, he doesn't get exposed up the field or leaving gaps behind him when he goes up the field as a fullback. And it's looked good so far. We'll see how it plays out uh, versus uh, West Ham. Um, West Ham, I mean, they're clicking under Moyes. Uh, this is uh, the lo- uh, the problem with uh, David Moyes in his last few jobs is that he just hasn't stayed very long. So that's at Real Sociedad, uh, Sunderland, and West Ham the first time. I believe he only stayed there for a season. Max at all three, all three clubs, maybe a season and a half at uh, Real Sociedad, or maybe West Ham the first time, I don't remember. But uh, yeah, they are finally clicking. Uh, Mikhail Antonio, uh, amazingly, keeps uh, Sebastian Heller off the bench. But uh, I think uh, Mois prefers Antonio uh, physically and for the defensive work he does. And uh, Antonio gets more shots off, whereas Heller is more of a service striker. Um, yeah, this is a team that's finally clicking. I think West Ham can play spoiler. When it comes to the European places, um, well, the exciting thing here to look forward to is uh, Saeed Benrama, who was signed on loan from Brentford. He finally made his big move up to the Premier League. Uh, not sure if he'll debut. Honestly, I think uh, West Ham and Saeed Benrama is a weird fit. Or not West Ham, because West Ham generally like to buy talent like Benrama. That is uh, young, exciting wingers, and they have a good track record of it. Um, but Moyes and Ben Rama specifically is a weird fit, but, um, we'll see if he makes his debut. Uh, I see city winning here. Close win. 
very close win, honestly, like much closer than some people expect. I see a three one, uh, a two two one, or a three two. Uh, I th- I think, uh, but Bo- I think Gerard Ger- uh, Bowen will be a real pain in the ass for whoever plays left back, whether it be Benjamin Mendy or Joao Cancelo, who played in le- at the left back role against um, F- uh, Porto in City's uh, midweek draw in the Champions League. Uh, this will be an interesting game. All right, one. Uh, we're going to switch up leagues now. Uh, one more game in Syria I want to look at was Inter. They're visiting Genoa. Uh, to most people, this is probably an unremarkable game. Uh, Genoa, uh, uh, Genoa are one of the handful of teams in Europe who look to kill games. And by kill games, you should read as make games as ridiculously fucking boring as possible. Uh, by allowing as few chances as possible while looking to take the few they generate. So it's kind of like a hunker down. Uh, we're not going to give you any shots and we might not get as many, but we're going to create some good ones. Uh, well, Inter are... Uh, I, I point this out only because Inter are interesting to watch week in, week out because Antonio Conte is undergoing some kind of ridiculous like midlife crisis because he's gone from being old man who plays uh, really boring defensive football to now he... I mean, even in interviews, he's saying he this is a new Conte. This is a new team. He wants to be attacking. He wants to throw men forward. And it is not. <laughs> it is not working. It's bad. It is like not good. Um, they bizarrely bought Alexander Kolarov. Okay, maybe not bizarrely. They bought him, but bizarrely are playing him as the left-sided center back and deploying Ivan Perisic, who is a, not a left, who is a left winger, but they're deploying him as a left wing back and also the teams are just like ridiculously unbalanced like he has gone away from using Marcelo Brozovic as a very steady defensive midfielder and he's played he's given Christian Eriksen some good minutes and Eriksen is I I think it's a combination of Eriksen is not delivering and this team is just hideously unbalanced the uh, the, the bright spots are that um, Romelu Lukaku is is still one of the best uh strikers in europe like the god the guy is so good i think he that's not 35 games or 35 goals when you when you uh consider his uh goals in the champions league in midweek uh he has 35 goals since he joined the club now i think that is more than ronaldo had in his first uh or in his debut season at least or yeah so anyway all right sorry numbers thing move on uh the other bright spot is Nicolo Barella. Uh, oh, Barella is great. He's uh, one of the b- best all-rounders in Europe right now. Like he's good. He's a uh, decent enough on the defensive side that he's not like a straight-up liability or leaving gaps. But God, he breaks lines like so consistently. Like th- this dude can pick out a pass. Like dude's got great eyes. Um, but yeah, Inter and Antonio Conte do not understand what is going on, especially in a year where I thought they would have been the favorites to win the league. And now I'm really not sure. Like they have, like, I really thought this was their league to lose, but it's, uh, if this is how Encante insists on deploying his teams, then I think it's wide open. Uh, as for this game, I think Inter will win, but it'll be very close win. I, as a neutral who wants to see Inter do better, my hope is that, they will struggle early on, and Conte will realize he needs to go back to more a more steady, uh, more defensively stable team. But uh, we will see. And my last two games are also from the Premier League. 
Sorry, fans of other leagues. Uh, the first one I want to look at was Liverpool versus Sheffield United. Uh, Jurgen Klopp's men are set to begin life without Virgil van Dijk after his ligament injury. Uh, the major question is whether he'll start Fabinho in defense or midfield, even though it's expected to be in defense. Um, Thiago and Diogo Jota have looked good in the limited minutes they've played. Um, in midweek against Ajax in the Champions League, uh, Fabinho started alongside Joe Gomez, and while Adrian was horrendous as is usual okay he wasn't he didn't do anything particularly bad but god he's i don't like going on morale points like this like things you can't even like see unless are like things that like you don't know about unless you're in the locker room but you really can't tell that that line is not comfortable with Adderan in net as compared to allison there's a hilarious clip going around of uh joe gomez shielding a ball from an ix attacker and at their end, bizarrely, instead of just sliding to ground and smothering with his hands, he clears it and it bounces off both Gomez and at their end. And Gomez is visibly really annoyed with that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I'm very interested to see what Klopp does. Um, I think the natural inclination is to continue going with Fabinho in defense. Uh, Joel Matip was not fit for the Ajax game. They're saying he may be fit for the Sheffield game. Um, but if Matip is fit, I honestly would still go with, I would go with Gomez and Matip and employ uh, Fabinho as the defensive midfielder. Because uh, while Sheffield United have struggled, uh, they barely earned their, earned their first point in the season against Fulham uh, in a draw. Um, their defense is still relatively good. Uh, their problem has been they are struggling hard for offense. Like they are just not generating any offense. Um, they're the they got a lot out of their uh, their so-called overlapping center backs and uh, well, their actual wing backs. Uh, that is uh, George Baldock and Anders Stevens. And this season, they're just not performing as well. Um, I'm not sure if we should be concerned or if it's just they're uh, starting poorly and they'll warm up to the season. But um, if I if I if I'm Jurgen Klopp, I hope if Matip is fit, that is like I start Matip, and then I start Fabinho in midfield so that there are no gaps in midfield. Although I would understand him starting Fabinho at center back and then starting Thiago as a six because Thiago in the limited minutes he's played against Chelsea, uh, he controlled the ball like incredibly, like he fit into the side like a glove. Um, I see a comfortable Liverpool win, but. I'm not surprised if Sheffield, well, surprised Liverpool. Like, yeah, I really think for safe, for full safety, you start Fabinho in midfield, but we'll see. All right, and the last game as part of our little shootout is the league leaders. Yes, listen to that one more time. The league leaders, Carlo Ancelotti's Everton, go to the South Coast. They're going to take on Ralph Hasenhutl's uh, Southampton. Uh, Southampton are looking to improve. They started the season very poorly with two losses from the first two games and now have two wins and a draw uh, in their last three games. Uh, Everton looked to bounce back from their, frankly, disappointing, at least for me, was disappointing to see them draw 2-2 in the Merseyside Derby. Um, this, the best way I can describe it is it's an ordinary game that could show us a lot about both sides. Uh, you, Everton will want to respond positively. Uh, I think the big question mark is can their, in this game and well for the season going forward is can their offense keep up? Uh, is is Calvert-Lewin 
Like, what is his ceiling? I'm of the opinion that he'll break 20 goals. I think he can easily break 20 goals. Like, I really think this is the season for him to break out, especially under Ancelotti. Like, it just makes perfect sense. Like, this is, like, a striker uh, profile that Ancelotti likes, especially when you consider uh, Richarlison is, like, kind of the attacker who does the dirty work, like, off-ball work to make space for Calvert-Lewin. And Luka Dina has been excellent. Like, he is probably the one of the best attacking fullbacks in the world right now. And then uh, Southampton, uh, I'll want to see how they play against a very well-structured. So like, this is going to be a very good uh, midfield battle. Obviously, their biggest loss was a Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, who uh, went to Tottenham, uh, leaving them with Oriel Romeo and James Ward-Prowse. Uh, still not sold on Romeo. Uh, I'm not sure... Honestly, it might just be in in a comparison to Hoybier kind of thing, but I I, I want to see them defending against a midfield of James Rodriguez, uh, Alan Abdullah Dukori, etc. Uh, I see a close Everton win. Uh, Everton are going to have to cool off soon. I think they're going to honestly. I think the Liverpool game was their cool off already. Uh, I see a close Everton win. And that's it. That is it for the grand opening episode one of The Fields. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really cannot tell you guys how much I appreciate your time and for literally dedicating any time to listen to my rambling on soccer, football, football, whatever you call it. Um, This was a lot of fun. I was a little nervous, a little apprehensive to do this at first. But I figured I get on Twitter to type out stupid shit in the first place. Why not get on a podcast and say stupid shit anyway? Because it's a little more productive, right? And it's nice to do this instead of typing into the void. <laughs> uh, but really, thank you all so much. Like, uh, whether it's whether it's only two listeners, twenty listeners, two hundred listeners, whatever. Uh, I appreciate each and every person who takes the time to appease this podcast. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. I really cannot say it enough. Um, this was a lot of fun. Uh, we will be doing this at least once a week, maybe twice a week, looking at Champions League or doing profiles on teams or with guests. We still have guests. We, I mean, we didn't have a guest on this episode, but I have a lot of friends lined up. So we're going to be talking a lot of shit. We're going to be asking a lot of fun questions. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sorry, I've said it like 20 times already, but seriously, thank you guys so much. Um, don't forget, uh, wherever you're listening to this, um, considering how early I've published this, this may or may not be up on Apple Podcasts. So I'm sorry because Apple Podcasts is even my uh, preferred uh, platform for podcasts, but it takes them, it just takes them a while to to p- confirm, I think. So, uh, but wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it be on Spotify or Google Play or Breaker or whatever, uh, please don't forget to follow or subscribe and give this podcast five stars. Uh, it would ha- it will help out a lot for the growth of the podcast, so we can have more listeners and we can have more fun. And uh, oh, before I forget, um, I will be tweeting this periodically, probably at least once or twice a week from the from various accounts but um i would love to take listener questions 
um, whatever questions you have, whether, regardless of how sincere, insincere, stupid, ironic, um, I don't like. I don't care if you want to ask me to rate kits or footballers' boots. Are I don't I really don't give a shit. Um, I mean I will answer technical questions to the best of of my abilities, but like really whatever stupid shit you want to ask me, please go ahead and do so because I my only aim is to please, and I love talking about stupid shit. I mean I got on a podcast and talking about fucking soccer for an hour, didn't I? <laughs> so you can obviously clearly tell that. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, yeah, don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe on whatever podcast listening platform you use or prefer. Uh, don't forget to follow on our socials on Twitter and Instagram. That is at the fields pod, uh, T H E F I E L D S P O D the fields pod. Um, if you want to listen to me or follow me on, uh, Twitter, Instagram, that is meals as an M 10 E's that is yes. M E E E E E E E E E E L S. That's the same thing on Twitter and Instagram. This will now be the 30th time I've said it, but thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun. I look forward to doing it again. I promise I will not drag on the intros and outros this much next time and going forward. But signing off, this is Emilio Calderon. Thank you guys so much. Have a good rest of your day or week or weekend. And I will see you again soon. Cheers.